Trevor. Hey, it's Lauren. It's Leo. And we're the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 96. You are hanging out with revolutionary writer, artist, director, and filmmaker, Floria Sigismondi. She has created almost 100 award-winning and most influential music videos of all time for the world's biggest music icons like Katy Perry, Muse, Rihanna, Bjork, and David Bowie. She was instrumental in the evolution of Marilyn Manson and every horror film after 1996 with her pioneering videos for Tourniquet and perhaps one of the most infamous music videos of all time, The Beautiful People. At time of release, she has a new film opening in theaters everywhere January 24th called The Turning. Hear about the secrets trapped in the very walls of the movie and how it's very much a haunted film in and of itself. Learn about the artistic chaos of working with Marilyn Manson and what informs her brave and inspiring choices in every medium. Let's go see some ghosts. Hey, this is Flora Sigismundi and you are descending into madness with another haunted episode of The Book. What happened to your last nanny? Like I'd tell. You need to take charge here, Kate. I know what you're afraid of. Keeping the lights on won't keep you safe. Can you please stop? You're gonna leave me, aren't you? I'm not going anywhere. Promise, promise? Cross my heart and hope to die. Everyone dies, Miles. Did you see them? I don't want to play anymore. Hey! Why are you doing this? Stop now. We're not safe! Stop giving tales. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is one of the world's most impactful and celebrated artists, photographers, directors, and filmmakers of all time. Her photography and installations have given her solo exhibitions everywhere from Toronto to Italy, New York and London, and everywhere in between. Collections of her work have been bound together in award-winning books like 1999's Redemption, 2005's Immune, and most recently, Eat the Sun, out now. She single-handedly, forever, changed the way that music videos are done. Hands down, that is not an exaggeration. She has done close to a hundred of them, and they aren't just music videos. In every case, they are each gently painted cultural movements that use the very canvas of the artists themselves to provide a beautifully nuanced extension of their true essence. This rare ability to fold oneself into that creative process and become the intent as much as the vessel has led these to be hailed as the best music videos and collaborations of all time, winning multiple awards and recognition. She is the person who in 1996 changed Marilyn Manson's trajectory forever with the beautiful people, film and visuals. It made music terrifying and beautiful at the same time and nothing has ever been the same since. She went on to work with David Bowie, Pink, Katy Perry, Christina Aguilera, The White Stripes, Muse, Incubus, Justin Timberlake, Fiona Apple, and countless others of the most important music makers of this generation, in each case, career-defining. 
She has stepped into the world of feature-length filmmaking in the past, directing episodes of The Handmaid's Tale and American Gods. In 2010, she wrote and directed The Runaways, telling the story of the 1970s rock group starring Kristen Stewart and Dakota Fanning. The new film, The Turning, opens everywhere January 24th, featuring Mackenzie Davis, Finn Wolfhard, and Brooklyn Prince. We are deeply honored to welcome its creator, Floria Sigismondi. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks yes. for being here. We love everything that you've done yes. for culture. A <laughs> hundred music videos. Wow. I never counted. That's yeah, a lot. Yeah, I never counted. <laughs> so, I mean, congratulations, first of all, reaching this point of the unveiling of this spectacular film. It's a beautiful achievement. How are you feeling right now? I can't wait to share it with everybody. It's um, it's been growing for a while. So, and um, the experience of shooting it, it feels so atmospheric and of its own thing that I kind of, you know, it feels like a place that I want to go back to. Mm, nice. It, it it does. It really does. Although the house would look completely different right now if I did. <laughs> so the film is all I have. <laughs> We're big believers in creativity kind of being the sum of all parts and are really excited to take a bit of a dive into the things that built up your creative vocabulary. The things that have informed these very powerful and poignant decisions and choices that you make on film. Pulling from the horror genre, what are some of your earliest memories of having memorable experiences with that genre? I remember being a teenager and uh, everybody was in bed and I kind of stayed up late. And I turned on the television to The Exorcist. Oh. And it was like, Come, are you still up? Go to bed. And I'm like, oh, my God. Am I really seeing what I'm seeing? And it really kind of changed me. You don't really know it, but little by little, you start to gravitate to things that are a little bit, I don't know, for me, a little bit more shocking or sort yeah. of more about the world of mystery. And I remember this, I have this one memory as well as a teenager, and I thought I had made it up until I went to the Chiesa di Cappuccini in Rome, and it's a monk's uh, church chapel, and when you walk to it, it's the catacombs, it's not in the basement though, it's sort of a semi-basement, but the walls are filled with like femur bones, and they're designed into chandeliers, and, and my mother took us there. Just wow. we were, yeah, we were, wow. and I th- and I thought I imagined bones in walls, and then I'd ask my sister if she remembered this, and she's like, "Oh yeah, we we uh, you know." Until I walked through the walls, uh, through the rooms again, I was like, "Oh my god, it wasn't my imagination." So all those things, I think, kind of get under there and create a language. Yeah. Did you ever uh, find out the origin of, the, of those bones? Were they like from y- yes. people or they're from two thousand bodies? And the priest who, or the monk who created it is unknown, probably because he was mad. Because ha- he'd had to have dug up all these bones. And they were saying that they died of religious causes, but they didn't know what. But there are babies in there. There's some petrified, half-skinned, leathery faces. But then the chandelier and the ceiling work, the Grim Reaper comes out with a big bone. That's, he's got his sickle, and it's just amazing. Wow. Amazing. Wow. If you're ever in Rome, you need to see this place. That sounds incredible. <laughs> and wow. it's not that big, but it's really detailed. Now, what about literature? Were there any books in particular that you gravitated to that became life-changing for you? Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess uh, the work of Sylvia Plath, more poets. I'm really into 
painting and art. And, you know, obviously the work of Joe Peter Whitkin had a lot to speak to me because they were like paintings and I didn't understand, you know, are they paintings? Are they photography? And sort of in a way opened my eyes on what you can do with photography. But I, you know, because I'm a painter first, so I'm kind of always gravitating to like the darker period, even in Picasso's work, the blue period is really, really macabre and gorgeous. And there's always drawn to like, I don't know, that kind of color palette. And I think, you know, if I really think about what draws me to that, I think it's just the mysteries of life. The mysteries of our inner life and our exterior life, sort of, you know, the God and the spirit of it all. And there's so much to learn. It's incredible. And I, and I, I really do create to put myself in situations where I'm constantly learning. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? I have. I've had two. One on the set, which Ooh. I'll tell you in a minute. Oh, but yes. I had, but I had a sort of life changing one, where I used to ride motorcycles in Toronto, <laughs> oh. and um, I was writing the story of the Black Dahlia with a writer, and she had gone to see a psychic, and we had a session right after that. And she came She came over and she said, oh, I have to tell you this. When I went to this woman, she wasn't talking about me. And I swore she was talking about you. And I went, what are you talking about? I'm going to call her right now. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> so she calls up the psychic and it, it was very quiet conversation. I couldn't hear anything. And she was like, you need to go see her. I was like, okay, I've been summoned by a psychic. <laughs> All right, that's the first. So I go and I get on the bus. I remember, you know, having traveling a long time to go and see her. And I eventually got to her house. and It was this like lavender house. And she was very clear woman. And, you know, her eyes were like marbles. And she had said, there's this man that is has come to see you. And he has his head down, this young man. And he's um, very regretful. And she describes him. I have no idea who he is. Until she describes his motorcycle. So you know she doesn't know for anything. Yeah. You know, you couldn't look this stuff up. So she said he drove a Burgundy Sportster. Well, there was only one guy who drove a Burgundy Sportster. So I knew exactly who it was. And he was, um, because she'd even said, you know, he didn't draw, he didn't ride all the time, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and he had a message for me. And he was saying that everybody on this earth has a, a purpose, like, um, destiny what calling or calling a purpose and he messed his up because he committed suicide and she said and he's come to tell you something and he tells you you put yourself in very dangerous situations to stop and every time you know you feel that you've gone off your path because you know what it is that you need to do when you're here think of me so every five years, I think of him, and I'm like, am I where I'm supposed to be? Is there something I could do that's better? Is there, you know. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Like a guardian of some yeah. sort, right? Yeah. And I did put myself in dangerous situations, like getting on motorbikes and doing crazy things. And, yeah. <sighs> and then the other story, is it related to what happened on the, on a set of The Turning or yes. somewhere? Whoa. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, there were, you know, when I went to scout these houses, sure. they were all haunted. Whereabouts <laughs> where were the houses? In, in Ireland. Ireland. Okay. And they were all, you know, I mean, they were all hundreds of years old and they had, you know, the walls could talk like they had seen a lot. And it's one place we saw 
my assistant said, are you touching the chair? I said, what are you talking about? She goes, my chair is shaking. We need to leave. Whoa. And I was like, trembling, shaking. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, let's not shoot here because I want to infuse the darkness. I don't want to be, you know, being told what, what, uh, <laughs> yeah. by the evil, what is evil. And um, so I ended up in this house, which was so friendly. And, you know, obviously it's has history as well. And there, but it felt good. Like it just felt like it wanted us there or something. You get lost in this house. It's so big and all these long hallways and stuff. And the last day of the shoot ever, as we went back to Ireland, I was meditating at lunchtime. And there's this, you know, rattling of the doorknob, rattling and rattling. And I'm, and then the door opens and I'm like, oh God, who's bugging me? Like, do they need to bug me at lunchtime? So I go to the, and the house, you could hear a needle drop. And that's a huge estate. And I'm like, what do you mean at lunchtime? Not even somebody, not a worker. Like you don't hear anything, which was very odd. So I thought, okay, that's strange. Hello, hello. Nobody's there. Hmm, I'm going to go meditate anyway. You're not going to stop me. So I like, you know, this is my last day. I want to meditate. And I just, Somehow my eyes opened and one panel out of a six paneled window, one panel of the curtain just goes up and literally does this little floating thing in air. And then it goes back down totally straight (laughs) and no wind, no nothing went up. Nothing was open. So I just felt like it was a little, you know what? We've been watching you. We're here. We're here. Exactly. Goodbye. So I I felt like it was, you know, you do feel like you're being watched for sure. This, this place was big it's interesting you say that because i was going to ask that about the house where where the turning is shot because i mean it is a stunning bly manor right it is stunning when you're watching it it feels haunted it doesn't feel like a set Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a movie set it feels real you feel age and decay in the walls when you're watching it it's really compelling i don't know it definitely infuses itself into the film, I'm sure, for you making yeah, it. Yeah, that's why I wanted to be in a real place and not build a set, because I wanted to fe- have the actors feel it as well. Oh. You know, there's some kind of thing that you live in this place and you have to come to it for whatever, a month, a month and a half. So that re- I think that really helped because they were getting lost in the place constantly. Uh, <laughs> we all were. The first three weeks. <laughs> Where are we? But, you know, people were born there. They died there. The trees on the property were seeded. Wow. When people were born. That's so wild. we would give the so tour cool. be like, that's my great grandfather, you know, but that that's my, you know, and they all had names. So all these wow. trees and properties oh that were like hundreds of years old were all people. Even the grounds felt like they were haunted, you know, and those big, crazy trees. And yeah. I fell in love with all the trees. Like there was something because I had seen the place in this spring or the summer and then we shot in the winter so it had changed a lot even the the maze which i was so happy was on the on the grounds couldn't believe it the maze it was all green when we came back it was like holy and that beautiful burnt orange color and you can see through it and you saw they don't build mazes out of that yeah they build them out of evergreens (laughs) so it was like we lucked out at all these things that were happening um in the in the sort of decay process of winter really added like those trees kind of came to life and all that stuff so i was very happy i found like 80 percent of what i needed on that property now was it vacant or like was it up for sale was it abandoned or did like how how much did you get to alter the inside at all or did you of all the houses this was the house they allowed us to paint it was a young family who lived there, passed on through generations. They had 
four young kids that were running around giving themselves haircuts and painting on couches. And <laughs> then you'd go and open a, a door and be like, jam on your hand. And you're like, oh, God. They had the run of the place. The first wow. floor was a museum. And they rented it out for weddings. And then the rest of it was just like mayhem. It was amazing. So we were actually very inspired on what would it feel like if Miles and Flora didn't have parents that had the run of a place. Yeah. And you only had Mrs. Gross cleaning up after them. There'd be toys everywhere. And right. so that's what we did. You know, we were really inspired by them. I'm a huge into films that do the world building based on houses i don't know why yeah. it's just something i love well they're a character yeah, they you really are yes. and yeah. you 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 like the films bring you into those locations it's such a great way to explore these like er, real life urban locations and i just love it i love it so much yeah. are there any places that are like that for you i mean you as a visual person and you finding the importance of this that aspect in your stories is that something you look for in real life are there places like that that you like to go to to get regenerate creatively things places you go to get inspired um i love going to europe there's a lot of really great ghost towns in italy right now so we every time i go to see my parents we take drives and go and visit these the medieval towns that are three old people live in wow. they're yeah they're pretty amazing up in the mountains so i do that though that kind of and and just you know europe is so old there's something you know you touch a rock and you're like Wow, how many people have touched this rock? Right, 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 right. What were they wearing? What were they, you know, they were killing each other, you know, for nothing, exactly. <laughs> for food or something, right. you know. So there's this uh, yeah. great sense of I don't know, um, yeah, history that we don't really have that sure. here, yeah. you know, like yeah. that. What is it about that sense of decay and age that you infuse in a lot of your work that? What do you think it brings out in people? I mean, in, in terms of the, watching The Turning, for us as a viewer, it's something that is kind of throughout the film like a trail of incense. A lot of it's hitting you subconsciously. You might not notice that in the back, you know, you walk into a room, it looks all beautiful and elegant. But if you look really deeply at a shot, you'll notice the wallpaper's peeling or yeah. something mm -hmm. like that. You know, you notice all those details. Yeah, those, yeah like, I they, got in there. They affect you, though. Yeah. They, they yeah. create the, the part of that unsettling nature. And the same with a lot of your music video stuff as well. There's a grit there, yeah. too. What is it about adding those elements to tell a story that you think draws people in? Or how do you like to use that? Well, I know why. I use it. I don't know why people are drawn to it, maybe because of the imminent death. Sure. <laughs> Our imminent death. <laughs> but, but, you know, I remember picking up a piece of rusted metal. I mean, this sounds crazy, silly, but I remember picking up a piece of rusted metal. I was on the train tracks or something and thinking, oh, this is the most beautiful like how nature was encroaching in something that was man-made and kind of going right. no you're mine you know there was something about the passing of time and and the decay of it that just really I, i'm i constantly uh, gravitate to like really extreme different and points of view maybe that's because my father was an atheist my mother was gonna be a nun so i had those kind of conversations at the dinner table constantly you know it was like these completely too beautiful and sort of decaying ugly things i'd always smash them together yes colorful but yeah. you know kind of tearing apart and if you look at when you first come into kate's room yes, it feels like i was gonna mention that it feels like it's yeah. sort of like oh look at this beautiful crimson bed cover yep. and pillows and then you get close and it's, it's tattered not. it's barely <laughs> staying together and when they brought me a bunch of stuff i thought i could because i could have gone either way because when you you know think of this rich kids and you know opulent 
estate, what should it look like? And I was always gravitated to like, no, let's just go that way. And I think, you know, upon closer look, yep. hopefully you, you kind of can see that. But uh, yeah, I just kind of put as much as my of myself and things that I like yeah. in the piece that I could, you know. It doesn't spoil anything, but it's got like the best end credit sequence of any film I've seen in a very long time. And it's a good example of that, like creating that that palpable tension that exists when you take something electronic, like the soundtrack mm-hmm. over the end, yep. and smash it together with something that's antique You get like mm-hmm. that polarity. That yeah, like you feel it as a viewer. It's like, it's hypnotizing. And if you look closely there, that's, we repainted the wallpaper from her room. Oh, no oh. way. So we had an artist come in and I wanted this sort of idyllic forest, beautiful garden. And then the end credits, the birds are falling off the trees and the leaves were turning and falling. And so everything was turning. Yep. You know. Beautiful. And that, that song at the end, the musical piece, is that from Nathan Barr? Is that a different? Uh, n- uh, no, Lawrence Rothman. Wow. Okay. That's all the songs. Nice. The, the songs in the, that were kind of 90s inspired. Because I wanted to put it in a time period where, get rid of technology. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, what's a great time period that, it's got all this like sort of angsty thing. So I was really drawing upon Kate's inner world, but then Miles live wire as yeah. he's described sure. in the script. Right. And that period was a very rebellious sort of, it was all about deconstruction, you know, right. fashion was deconstructed, yep. music was deconstructed and it was a bit angry. And so I thought that was a great era, but we didn't want to put needle drop. Cause I thought if I just put a, whole song and people come with they're loaded right they come in with all their own memories into into it and so i kind of wanted i was like i'm creating this world that's so different and unique and atmospheric i want the music to feel that way too so we um lawrence like curated a great list of people that had sort of were calling in that sound yeah whether they were keyboards or whether it was like you know guitars and or it was the voices and and then of course we got courtney love which so excited, you know, about because you get a new fresh track from her, and well, that, you know. Nice. So I was like, so it was exciting. Is the soundtrack out yet? When does uh, it, come it comes out? out when the movie comes out on the twenty fourth. Okay, perfect. Nice. Perfect. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Perfect. Before we go into the more of the film, I wanted to just highlight an important part of your career and of all of us as music lovers, obviously, yeah. is your, your collaboration with Marilyn Manson in 96, uh, I guess, when it started, mid-90s. And that was an interesting time for Marilyn Manson, particularly that album, Antichrist Superstar, which was game-changing in itself. But it was also a time when that band in particular, and Marilyn Manson as an artist, was like a powder keg. They cultivated a violent surrounding around the making of that album to come up with what they had created. And then there's you coming into the scene. I'm not violent. Right, exactly. (laughs) What was the energy like to work with during that period when you were doing videos like Tourniquet and The Beautiful Mm. People? Well, I was so excited when we met because everybody was in that very grungy uniform. And here he was kind of 
more experimental and he was not afraid of makeup and he was not afraid of transforming himself. So I was, I was like, wow, this is like, I can create an opera yeah, with yeah. him. <laughs> and, and I have these drawings, my initial drawings of this sort of coat made out of skin, which was what we made out of the PVC, that long coat yeah. he was wearing is out of PVC. And I wanted him to go bald. And I was surprised he was kind of like, I don't know if I want to go bald. I think, yeah, like, oh my God, you're vain. I love it. Okay. So I convinced him and he did. And of course, it changed everything. It changed everything. It changed everything. So um, that was kind of cool. And it, for me, it, it was a very important time in sort of my creative development because it was the first time I trusted crazy images and went for it. Like I remember the night before ready to go to bed kind of going oh my god am i really gonna do this like this is i've never done anything like this i've got these crazy ideas i'm gonna hang them upside down i'm gonna do it and it was just about believing in myself right and then when i got there the next day and these little sketches or images that i had in my head were actually three-dimensionally in front of me i thought oh i was hooked <laughs> because it's this sort of you know just an it's nothing when it's in your head it's like when you wake up from a dream you have these images but they can be so fleeting and to actually go like i'm going to recreate my dream and walk through it yeah and touch it it was so great that is, is so yeah. cool so then it taught me not to you know destroy sort of little seedling ideas no matter how strange they are because maybe they've just got to grow and find its place and then a lot of times i find I understand things after I've done them, what they mean or how they relate to my life. You know, it's just sort of things I gravitate towards and I don't ask too many questions and I just kind of go and then I'm like, oh, that's why I did that. You know, that's a great message for (laughs) creators everywhere. Right. That's amazing. A couple of things I wanted to ask about in particular relation to that video, a couple of these images that really have just stuck around. And another interesting thing about that video, in particular, beautiful people, that influence of that video ended up influencing the horror cinema ever since that's you know similar jittery Mm -hmm. camera techniques started people doing you know when whenever there's a monster or creature that uh, you know moving really quickly and stopping and you pioneer this whole thing and like movies even like seven and 13 ghosts and started replicating all that yes all that stuff it was just amazing what you did (laughs) (laughs) you were the first you were the first (laughs) you were the first and there's no secret one of the one of the visuals i love is those those like shadow people that grow super Mm -hmm. tall in the background what was that how was that achieved okay those are the palabalist dancers i had i had gone to a performance where they had they didn't look like that at all they had sort of done this piece where they were giving birth to a being there was one and it was tall and eventually gave birth to another person and then you realize there were two people inside there okay and so that's why they act so real and but they you know but they're walking fast and they're doing these things and they could grow like that there's no post on that whatsoever oh my god when they're one person and they what were they they have to oh after the the archway, they grow. Yeah, that's that's them. That They'll is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. I had to pay, you know, obviously to get them to come. They had to come. I, I forget if they came from Montreal, and it was just like, do we really need them? I'm like, you wait till you see them, and then you know, kind of giving them the bald caps as well. You know, making them sort yeah. of look kind of like they're his helpers. Uh, really, kind of finished a sort of more 
they were they were like there's dark angels or something yeah and then like the dental apparatus and all that stuff mm-hmm. that he wore did you just dream that stuff up what did you have to make that yeah you stuff? know for me it was just sort of if that you know i was like what can i have what would symbolize sort of social restraint you know and everybody knows what it feels like when you're at the doctor's office and you can't help yourself you yeah know? sort of like this idea of um that everybody can relate to the fear of that. And so that was the idea behind it conceptually. (sighs) I mean, he did get blisters in his mouth and he did threaten to chase me around because I had him upside down. (laughs) His eyes went red. And you know, when the people were walking on the ceiling, he was actually, he was upside down. He was. Yeah. Okay. Upside down. Yeah. And then wow. I did oh my gosh. Jeez. But, I love yeah, it. But, I love uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to suffer for the art. Right? Yeah. Awesome. If anybody could take it, it's him. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. And it paid off for him. I'll yeah. tell you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one more music question before we go back into the movie stuff. We just have to ask about another iconic cultural icon you've worked with, and that'd be David Bowie. And I was just wondering how that experience changed you. Okay. I've worked with him twice in two videos in the same sort of periods and one was in the 90s and it was just after um Marilyn Manson's Beautiful People came out and you know to get a, a call from David Bowie I was like oh my god the guys you know he's I've always been a huge fan not that I showed it in front of him <laughs> of course <laughs> but, not <laughs> of course not I mean he's just so influential and what I learned from him was the example of being David Bowie I mean it was just to see to talk to him and just to see him navigate through life and kind of go, he is just being 100% himself, you know, and w- how confident he is. Like, I remember kind of going, my God, I'd be so happy if I would just, that could be a reality. Cause it's a, re- I always think if it's a reality for somebody out there, it could be your reality. And so I kind of really gravitated towards that. And he was always so incredibly giving, you know, in terms of, never questioning if I wanted to do something no matter how crazy it was and just always you know I made a suit for him that he never ever tried on with these like points that I'd drawn out I'm, I wanted him like all angular and he put it on what I know what this character would do and he just went off and I'm like <laughs> oh my god who would do that that's so fantastic <laughs> that's yeah. amazing you know so he really and he really um like really respects the creative process like just yeah because he's creative you yeah know? he yeah. knows what it means yeah yeah he's the element of creativity incarnate really isn't he mm-hmm. back into the turning when did you first come into the fray on that project? How many years ago was that? About, uh, I, wanna, I don't want to say 2017, I started reading scripts. Okay. And I really wanted to make it more female-centric than the script that I read. So we worked on it, kind of really, I really wanted to get into the POV of Kate. I thought that was very fascinated, right. fascinating. And when I read the book, I, you know, I read it when I was like 16, and again course rereading it you can have so many interpretations from that story like you can read it one way and it's a ghost story from cover to back and then you read it another way i mean another time and it's a a story of a a woman going mad this has been debated over years and over 100 years that's what's made the the literature last so long and be the scariest haunted story ever Every ghost story is taking something from the journey. Like, you know, you see it. You see the little things here and there. So I wanted to have that quality as well. I kind of wanted to have a quality like a fever dream. And then when you were done, 
you wanted to understand it and wanted to go and watch it again because you wanted to see what what it kind of means to each individual person, yeah, like what it means yeah. to you. I mean, the story itself is um, very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the main character, you never know her name. Yeah. You're debating it, whether she sees things or not. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a really interesting take that you, that you took for this movie, setting it in more modern day and then basing it on Kate's point of view, which is something you don't get, you don't get from the novel. You never know the main character, but here you define the main character. Mm-hmm. That thought was really interesting and it works very well. Thank but yet, you. you have your own ambiguity as to what's going on. Yes. And you're really in Kate's mind and kind of, you're also in her mind through, her, you know, the nighttime stories, which are in her dreams, you right. know, sort of. The, so, so there's all these like fun ways of getting into her psyche. And um, she comes loaded into the house because, you know, even though she comes in confident and, you know, I can do this, the people around her aren't really so sure. So she comes to this house loaded and it, it really is a Cinderella moment when she comes in and she just thinks like, this is the job of my dreams. Like, come <laughs> on, taking care of a little six year old. Yeah. And this, be- I mean, her bedroom's bigger than her whole apartment, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but then things aren't what they appear to be, you know. So I, I, I look at the house sort of as this, um, the house and the kids. And what they bring out in Kate is sort of like the key that opens up the Pandora's box within her. The acting in this is incredible. I mean, big fans of Mackenzie. Yes. Everything from Diablo Cody, mm-hmm. uh, the movie she did, uh, Tully. and Halt and um, Catch Fire. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Halt and Catch Fire. And also that uh, Sophia Tacall film we just watched. Yes. Yeah. And Black Mirror episode that yeah. won awards. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's outstanding. Yeah, she's fantastic. And Finn Wolfhard, obviously. The way he looks and the way he plays that character really adds to the tension between him and Mackenzie, you know, because mm-hmm. he does have that very angelic cherubness to him. He and does. And it, that's why I was drawn to him. It <laughs> Yeah. Right? Because, you know, in the book, especially, she's really taken by this kid. Like, right. he's just this charming. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to ride the line. Like, sometimes he's charming. You can see he's a good brother to the little sister. So he's, like, loving to her. But then there's, like, some things he says and he can turn and make a scene feel very uncomfortable. If you got rid of the ghost story in it, it's uh, you can really feel how troubled he is. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes from like a sweet older brother to, hey, I'm a sexual teenager. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it, you like, know, and yeah, and he's and know. he's fighting that sort of toxic masculinity that's uh, been handed down to him by by his best friend. You know, if he, yeah. he doesn't have a father figure, and that's who he has, and it's you know, sort of a statement really on learned behavior. So I love all the props in the movie. just wanted you to know that. <laughs> um, did you keep anything from it? I have a list that yeah. I have not heard back from. Oh, wow. And I, I would love the mannequin. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Anybody so is listening creepy. out there. Creepy. I, the mannequin. I asked for the paintings in her room. That's for a Frederick Frederick is the painter and it's it's all sort of 1800s wonderful ghostly um, landscape paintings and you know uh, Packy Smith who's the production designer brought me you know a bunch of examples of painters for the walls and I was like oh it's got to be that and they were on the property you know those paintings are actually the, oh, those wow. trees are actually on the property. Oh, cool. Cut like that. And, you know, the last scene with the hands go yes. and it starts over the painting. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and then there's this other painter, uh, Brockler, 
is another painter that we really drew from that that painted a lot. Um, they felt like they were sort of deathly, ghostly paintings by cemeteries, but they had these always like tall, ghostly figures with cypress trees. And so, you know, I kind of was really inspired by that. Wow. Yeah. So I was hoping to get those. There were some other things that I wanted that... There's I, some musical equipment in mind. There's yeah. so many cool, like, antique <laughs> looking things in there, too. And, and <laughs> Yeah. Even, like, the furniture was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, all that was rented. Yeah, I can And the, and the, the great, uh, you know, thing that Pocky brought to it and that, you know, I wanted it to feel lived in. And I, I was not really a fan of when you see a period piece that absolutely every piece of furniture is from that time period. Yeah. Because life is not like that. No. And you could tell a story with all those things, you mm-hmm. know, so... The parents would have gone to Italy and, and, and grabbed some beautiful designer furniture. And then they would have gone to some exotic place and grabbed that, like, you know, the big dragon at the front entrance, right. the sort of um, Asian dragon at the front. So, it, you know, it's all those little things I wanted to uh, to be everywhere, like little, if you could go back and look, you know, there's, and all the paintings on the walls, if you really look at them, they're. They're there for a reason. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. That's great. Sure. That's great. Are you a collector yourself? I was. I've got my share of, of gurneys and the Victorian wheelchairs. Oh, wow. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, I forced my assistant to sit in one of them, and her desk was a gurney for a very long time <laughs> until I, I finally went, this is weird. <laughs> 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 Those are big pieces to display and deal with, right? Like, yeah, I have a couple of them. I, I had a, a dream of putting them around a dining room table. You know, I just thought, like, I don't know about this. <laughs> wow, but, I would so keep so much stuff, like, from your music yeah, videos. Yeah, I do. I have, I have the eyeballs from the David Bowie next day. Oh, that's, oh, cool. Oh, that's so cool. On the cool. tray. I have a little tiny piece we cut out of the uh, Katy Perry, the E.T. video. No way. I love that little, video. little little guy with a helmet and all that scrap there. It was all miniature. It's huge that we built. I just carved up that little guy for wow. me. What else do I have? I have um, some other things from a David. Oh, I have from the first batch of David Bowie stuff from the, in the 90s. I have the, the dog that was sort of that where his face was projected. Yeah, yeah. I have that and a couple of things that he signed for me. So yeah, I do. That's I do. Cool. Cool. I keeping it. It kind of gets sort of like where do you put it after a while? Right. But right. I do have to keep at least one thing. Yeah, I think that's kind of important. Yeah, you know? no, it definitely is. As collectors, we totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> so there's so many beautiful shots in this film as well that are really like you know you could take a shot out of this movie and hang it on your wall. One of the ones in particular that. I don't know why I just remember it so distinctly, but when uh, Mackenzie is in the tub and she's just like hunched over the tub and it's just the way it's shot. I don't know something about it. It's like an overhead. It looks like an overhead camera and it's just the way her back is bent and it's just a beautiful scene. Do you storyboard those yes. out or do are those very particular? Yeah, I do. I, I storyboard them out. When I uh, run around the location, uh, location ver- inspires me a lot. I take a lot of pictures and then I go and I storyboard wh- how I think the scene should go. My, wow. little, my little drawings. So those little, those visual ones that I'm talking about, those are impactful moments that you say, I want this yeah. to look like this. Gotta get, like, yeah, got to wow. get the top shot on there. And then that one, what was so great about it, and we didn't know it until the camera went up there, that was the exact ratio of the the frame. The oh, yeah, no it fits in perfectly. So maybe you're feeling that too. Like it's got to be something because you do feel something yeah. when you see. And there's a lot her of this. body, the way we lit it, and I kind of 
leaned a little bit into the sort of '90s dirty murky, like a little bit of green in the in the blacks, and and that bathtub being all yellow. It was like the the book, the yellow wallpaper. So it's like really right. Yeah. It has some a sallow kind of skin tone. Right. It did. It was bit. just something about it. Yeah, it gets under your skin. It's it's amazing. What about there's some underwater stuff? Mm-hmm. How was that? Was that a challenge oh, to man. do? How did you pull it that was, off? It was a challenge because because they didn't seal the we were the first people to use this tank in ireland okay and so it was a concrete box underwater uh, underground and so they didn't seal it so the concrete was coming you know sort of powdery milky Mm -hmm. feel and at Mm -hmm. first i was like oh my god i can't see anything i was coming up in the water it was all milk that's what caused the milky look yes but in the end i think it's what makes everything (laughs) so ghostly and murky and in the end, it was it happened for a reason. It was just I was very happy with it, especially that stuff of Jessel in the very end. Yeah, I mean that's you'd my, have to sit there and watch. You'd have to sit yeah. through credits. But that that pool sequence, I mean, that's my phobia right there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, when you, I was like, good. That was a great scene. Do you know how cold that water was? Yeah, I was that, just about to oh ask. Oh my gosh! Because when the doubles went in, they needed a whole hour to come back to room temperature. Because apparently if you heat someone up too quickly, your skin could crack underneath uh, your, yeah, your muscles crack underneath oh, your skin. Geez. Wow. It's a crazy thing. So you wow. really need to be careful. So we couldn't obviously put the actors in there until yeah. we went to her. Our How cold pool. was it there? Because you it was, said it was, it was winter, winter time, right? right? It, they said it never snows here. We were in the biggest blizzard of the history of Ireland. <sighs> they ran out of bread. You went into, I mean, it shut us down for five days and I love Ireland, but it's like you, it shut us down for five days. You go to get groceries. There's nothing on the shelf. Everybody had a panic attack. (laughs) It's like bought everything, you know, because we couldn't shoot because, you know, in in environments like that or like Italy where I'm from when it snows, it's not like Canada. I mean, I shot Handmaid's Tale minus 30 and you were going. It didn't matter if the blizzard tonight, we're on. Yeah. You're like, ah. And you know, you're on a river and you, you got, you know, the breaking icebergs in front of you so your boat doesn't crash. And you're just like, going, oh my God, you guys are crazy. And then in Ireland, you know, people were getting into accidents coming out of their driveways on the way to work because they didn't don't have the salt, they don't have the tires. So then we had to make, we were in the middle of shooting the maze horse sequence. So yes. it was like, oh God, now everything doesn't match. Everything's muddy. So we had to dig up the trenches, like the pathway and put sand in there, pack it down. So we were able to, it was, it was a thing, but a beautiful though, beautiful looking country. I mean, I think, you know, it really adds to the atmosphere. And you were saying you wanted to, uh, you wanted to revisit that. Would you revisit the story, the, the characters? Would you go back into their world or set another story in that, in that surrounding? Something about their story makes me feel all kind of warm and fuzzy. There's something about being in that house and, and, um, with those characters, I think what I really loved about it, it was such a small cast, sure. such a small group of yeah. people that you really kind of get to know them, even if you don't like, you know, there's the, the you get used to the presence, even though they're withholding a lot. So I think that and I think it's mostly because I create worlds so I can be in them. That gives it that immersive yeah. quality to it. It was interesting about um, what we were saying earlier, too, about everybody coming away from this film with their own interpretation and walking out and having being able to have a conversation and that's definitely what this film does in fact everybody who was coming out of the screen with 
that's all everybody was talking about. Really? Oh, what yes. do you mean you? Oh, they meant yeah. this, they meant this. No, 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 it meant this. And, yeah. You know, and that was interesting to see. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that yeah. is fantastic. It's going to require multiple viewings. Yeah. yeah. I'm going uh-huh. back. I'm going back to watch it because it's like, oh, I, I know what I saw, uh-huh. but I'm now going to look for other things. Okay, so, I'll, I'll give you a hint. A couple of hints. It's a way for me to visit that house. I love yeah. and watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the children's wing. You know, t- if you looked at it, it's built like a a, a coffin, oh, and it was just like that. Really, in the really low ceiling, and yeah. that literally was the real children's wing. We oh. got to paint it and give it our own thing, and I had so much fun too. Also, you know, I wanted to give Miles some edge, and I thought, well, if he was. Growing up in the 90s, he'd kind of be very rebellious to all this sort of really perfect, you know, yeah. beautiful old furniture. And he'd like throw it all out outside of his room and yes. kind of going. So you've got this poster next to this, you know, thousands of dollars of this right. antique painting. And then he takes his mattress and throws it on the floor. But you can see where things have been moved because now that it's not painted properly. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> so I had so much fun creating his world and also just, you know, pulling out rugs and then finding the sort of slats of wood. Cause that's what they used to do in the old days. Really? Yeah, they would save on the marble or the wood and they would have these beautiful lattice work from the wood all the way around. And then you lift up the carpet that was made for the place. Right. And it was literally plywood. Wow. Yes. That's wild. So then we lift it up. And we go, oh, God, we need to replace this thing. Or need to, you know, you, you kind of were married to that rug. Yeah. It was huge. And, you know, you don't know these things until you. I mean, we, we did create our own and we did um, uh, roll ours up. But you don't realize how huge it is until you start rolling these things up. What's next on the horizon for you after this? I am working on an independent feature. Very cool. Yeah, that I'm ready probably to talk about uh, very, very soon. Okay. And so that, and then, you know, I've got my photography book that just came out. Mm-hmm. So, yes. yeah, I've been talking about that. Is this feature going to be horror? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yes. uh, and yes. it's, it's psychological oh, nice. thriller. And it, uh, that's all I want to say about that's, it. That's great. No, I love that mystery. That's yeah. fun. Very exciting. And then anything in the world of music videos? Well, right now we just finished a music video that um, that for Finn, because he's in the, on the soundtrack. Yeah, that's right. Cool. And so that has footage from the video. But I just shot a mu- music video for Girl in Red. And uh, sh- her music video drops, I think, the day of the movie on the 24th. That's what, that's gonna be fun, and that's gonna have footage never seen before from the movie. Is there a lot of footage that there's some of of um some of the ghosts? Yeah, there's yeah, some stuff. Wow, yeah. the ghosts, by the way, look incredible. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Because I was really inspired by photography. You know, the long exposures and sure. things, and kind of wanted to make something sort of. If you're too elusive and too transparent, then you don't know what. You're, and, right. and then if you're too real, it becomes too real. So I right. kind of really f- had to find it. Well, everybody, you got to see The Turning in theaters everywhere, January yes. 24th. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's such a Gloria, treat. thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, seriously, it's an honor. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 96. Special thanks to our guest, Floria Sigismondi. Follow her at Floria Sigismondi on Instagram and at Floria Mamaroma on Twitter. At time of release, The Turning is in theaters everywhere, January 24th. Music for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us.
us on Twitter at Tales from the Moo. The Moo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Moo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.